Quick disclaimer, some slightly stronger than usual violence this week. Please check out the post on mythpodcast.com for more info. This week on Myths and Legends, it's the beginning of a story about a Viking who doesn't like fighting, what to do if a bird drops off a hair burrito in your lap, and why you maybe shouldn't trust that person whose idea of a nice grating is charging at you with a sword out. The creature this time is a helpful garden monster who wants to suck your blood from your feet. This is Myths and Legends, episode 321A, Mostly Harmless. This is a podcast where we tell stories from mythology and folklore. Some are incredibly popular stories you might think you know, but with surprising origins. Others are stories that might be new to you, but are definitely worth a listen. We're back in the Viking sagas, with the saga of Hrolf Grangu. It's an Icelandic saga from the 14th century, and for a public domain work, it took me months to track down and was about 10 times the cost of any other saga. It was totally worth it though. Written completely for entertainment, it's an escapist adventure story, and the author is really fun. They basically take the Mystery Science Theater 3000 approach of, if you have a problem with the story, remember that it's a legendary saga, and you should really just relax. Anyway, it's set around the turn of the millennium in Scandinavia, and there are a bunch of rival kings jockeying for power. We'll start not with a king, though, but with a jarl, an earl, and him dealing with his feelings by watching too many sports. Hrolf and the Vikings played a ball game for Jarl Thorgny's entertainment. Every day, the Jarl would sit before the burial mound of his beloved, deceased wife and have all the men and warriors of his realm play a ball game. He alternated between cheering and crying. Things weren't going well. Then one time, during the halftime show, Jarl Thorgny looked up and saw a swallow laden with a scarf. He thought it was part of the show and praised the increased production value, but it became clear that the bird was a bit of a snafu when Hrolf, one of his best warriors, stood swatting at it. The bird fluttered over, doing a quick flyby for the Jarl and leaving the scarf behind. The men walked over. A bird, outside. Weird, what did it drop? They saw the Jarl's hand shaking. It was a scarf, a scarf with a hair. Bundled up in the scarf burrito was a single golden human hair, quote, the length of a man. And every person there understood what they were looking at the moment they saw it. They understood that this was attractive. Tears rimmed the bottom of the Jarl's eyes. He had never seen anything more beautiful than this in his whole life. He gripped the scarf to his chest. I swear a solemn vow to win her hand or die the Jarl said, quietly adding, as soon as I find out the country and town in which she lives. Hrolf and the others in attendance could have been thinking that, you know, the Jarl was going through some stuff. They were good friends who wanted to help him through, but when he called an assembly and made it official, they could see that this was no phase, no blip. He was super into the presumably woman who owned this hair, and he had to have her, given her consent, right? 
Bjorn, one of his counselors, stood up at the bench. Jarl Thorgny said, yes, of course, come on. They might pillage, murder, and enslave, but women in Scandinavia at this time did in fact have a higher degree of freedom and more rights than elsewhere in Europe, which I know that is not saying much at all. But the Jarl seemed to accept that if he wasn't fated to be with her, he was okay with that. Not sure what happened to the or die bit from earlier, but moving on. Bjorn said he hadn't made inquiries, because how would you even do that? But he knew of one princess who matched the description. Ingigerd. Hey, hey, why is it doing that? The Jarl asked. Bjorn said that they were doing some backstory. He was going to tell what happened in King Hregvid's kingdom? Oh, okay, but isn't the harp and the kind of rippling fade out kind of meant for memories? It would just be more like a hard cutaway, right? Like maybe just a scene with some text? Bjorn thought about it. Yeah, okay, yeah, probably a little subtitle lets you know about the time frame. The Earl nodded. And immediately, we're looking at a battlefield that said, two years earlier. The Swedish king, King Eric, and his four berserkers were at the gate. The city would fall. Four men, two sets of brothers. Of the four, though, Grim Eger, Grim Ocean, as he was called, was the worst. No one knew his backstory. He had been found on the beach by Groa, a sorceress who thought, you know what this infant needs? He needs to be the absolute worst. So, in what she called evil wizard training, and others would more accurately call child abuse, she fed him raw meat in the blood of men and beasts, training him without rest until he could take the forms of various monsters and creatures, travel on the sea like it was land, and belch poison and fire and battle. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, did you say belch? The Earl interrupted. Bjorn said, yes, why? The Earl said, it's just belch, it's not a compelling or an intimidating term. Do wizards belch? It's what it is. He burps poison. It's intimidating if it's in your face, Bjorn reiterated. The Earl said, spew, vent, pour out, disgorge. They're belches. Bjorn said, if you can accept that he's an actual wizard, you can accept that he belches, please. The Jarl waved his hand, whatever, please continue. It was the battle. The king, Hragvid, had a pile of corpses around him. Like, the enemy had to climb up to get around it. And this was all the more impressive because his forces were outnumbered four to one. When the enemy attacked, the king couldn't get anyone to come to his aid. Even his own horse, on whose back the king never lost a battle, wouldn't come. He jumped the barrier and escaped into the woods, rather than take his king into battle. No one could touch the king because of his armor. He had won it out battling, and it was magic of some sort. Nothing could bite it, and nothing could stand in the way of his sword. In the end, though, it didn't have to. Grim Ocean, the wizard, climbed the wall of corpses and lunged. The king swung his sword, and Grim evaporated into dust. Two more Grims, two more swings, both gone. Then there was a sea of Grims climbing over, and the king staggered back to find the real Grim right behind him. He slid the knife up the corslet and found the king's heart. It was over. King Eric sent his men to go after the warriors, fleeing King Hregvid's side. He was going to see the princess. 
Ingigerd. Finally, the Jarl said. Bjorn asked, oh, he was sorry. Was the epic wizard battle too boring? The king said it was, a, it was okay, just a lot of buildup. Okay, so she had to marry King Eric. No, actually, he let her keep the kingdom, Bjorn said. You're letting her keep the kingdom? Grimm snarled once again two years earlier, back in Russia, where King Hregvid's kingdom was. King Eric said not technically. So she's your prisoner. She's marrying one of us? Also no, Eric smiled. Eric had found Ingigerd in the throne room, knife in hand, waiting for him. The knife, however, was not waiting for him. She said she would use it if forced to go with any man against her will. And Eric held up his hands, whoa, whoa. Sure, he just put her father's kingdom to the sword, and his best friend was an evil wizard, but he wasn't that type of bad guy. What did she want? She locked him in with the premise that, quote, no man had the right to call himself a king if he can't keep his promises to a young lady. He agreed to this, despite there being all sorts of evil kings who wouldn't care about that sort of thing. I guess he still wanted her to believe that he was honorable, though. He told her to see what type of man he was, make her request, and he would grant it. Well, she had you there, Grimotion said. Eric shook his head. It wasn't that bad. She, the princess, would rule over a quarter of her father's kingdom for three years, completely independent. Her father would have a burial mound far off in the wilderness, where he would be buried in his armor. In three years' time, she would find the champion to joust against Sorkvir, one of Eric's big four berserkers. If her champion lost, she would relinquish all authority over her kingdom and her life. If she won... Eric and his ilk would leave Russia forever. How is that not that bad? Grim Ocean screamed. So in three years time, you get what you have now anyway? I love her, Eric said. No, stop it, Grim Ocean replied. They were evil. They should just be evil in this situation. But she might love me. No, no, she won't. You killed her dad and took over her kingdom. She will never love you in the way you're hoping for. Seriously. Who cares about her little word games? We're evil. Take her prisoner, Grim Ocean said. But Eric was the king. This was what they were doing. Grim noted that the only way someone would beat Sorkvir was if they were wearing the late king's armor. So they would build the mound, but they would build it to be impenetrable. Also, Eric, King Eric, would put out a quest. Get the armor, marry Eric's sister. That way he either got the armor or thinned out the ranks of the heroes who might get the armor. Cut to an inner title card that reads, Modern Day, and then in parentheses, Modern Day for the story, still like a thousand years ago for us. And also, she has really long hair. I think. Bjorn settled back and took a long drink of mead. Well, that settles it. Jarl Thorgny rubbed his hands together and stood from his throne, preparing for the big announcement. A quest. Go to Russia, joust against Sorkvir, and win Ingigerd on his behalf. For this, he would promise his daughter's hand in marriage and a third of his own kingdom. Now who's with me? Now who's with me? Now who? Really? No one. It turned out, yeah. No one. Earl Thorgny looked out on the room. 
to a surprising number of people refusing to make eye contact with him. It sounds scary! Someone yelled from the back. Oh, you're Viking warriors! The Jarl yelled at his men. Fire burps! Another yelled. Fi- okay, fire burps are not a thing. It's a mistranslation, Jarl Thorgny insisted. It's not a mistranslation. He actually burps fire and poison. Bjorn stepped up, then sat back down. Ugh. Okay, I'll do it, the hall heard, and turned to the speaker, Kralf, the Viking who hated fighting. It's rude to be like that. He's our Jarl. Kralf spoke to the room. We honor him when he's giving us feasts, but not when he needs something. Kralf turned to the Jarl. He would go to Russia and fight Sorkvir and bring back Ingigerd or die trying. As for Thora, Jarl Thorgny's daughter, she could marry whoever she wanted. She deserved a good husband and Kralf had no mind to marry. So I have held the door for people to be polite. I've gone to get-togethers a I put up with some really annoying stuff. I'm from the Midwest. We're polite. I would draw the line at jousting a berserker, enchanted with evil magic, to make a room less awkward. The Jarl, not reading the situation at all, commended Hrolf's bravery and said that he could take as many men as he wanted. Hrolf said thank you, but no. A lone traveler created less suspicion than a crowd. We'll see who this Hrolf guy is, but that will be right after this. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. There was a send-off tomorrow morning for Rolf. Fanfare, celebrations, a parade, maybe. But that was why Hrolf was leaving tonight. He had arrived in his longships and helped to save the Jarl's home. For his trouble, he had been given a castle. He pulled the spear from the wall and hooked it to his back. Of his weapons, this was his oldest. It wasn't a nice spear. The Jarl told him he could pick from anything in the armory. And he kept this beat-up old spear. He kept it because it belonged to the first man he ever killed. Hrolf had grown up in Norway and always knew that he was different. His father was a petty king and his brothers were small. Well, okay, they were massive men, but compared to Hrolf, anyone was small. There wasn't a horse among his father's herds that could carry him for very long. He avoided the games and drinking and women. And before long, the people began to view Hrolf the biggest among them who like to take long walks in solitude and spend time in nature as harmless and inept. Rolf was fine with that. It was mostly true. His father, however, was not fine with that. 
One day, he sat Rolf down and told the kid that, frankly, he would never amount to much. The best advice he could give his youngest son was to settle down with a wife on a farm, somewhere far away, where he wouldn't embarrass his father and brothers. Rolf agreed that he should go far away, but not to a farm and not with a wife. He had no interest in women, and he had no interest in anything his father wanted. He couldn't stand the sight of blood. He wouldn't sail on his father's ships. He stood and paused. He told his father, the petty king, that he was a petty king, and that was all he would ever be. He wanted to push Rolf off to some croft far away so he wouldn't be an embarrassment. <laughs> That's what Rolf's grandfather had done to him. And now to fight with his brothers over this inheritance, the, what, this thing that they were all convincing themselves was a kingdom? It would be like rats fighting over a scrap of moldy bread. And those were the last words he ever said to his father. He did not regret them. His mother, Asa, understood. Hrolf wasn't like his brothers. Even though he was the biggest and most suited for pillaging, he had no taste for it, no bloodlust. He fought only reluctantly, and then only as much as necessary. He, like I said, preferred the solitude. She hoped he found what he was looking for out there, but she was glad he wouldn't be there to be sucked into his father's petty, impotent violence. She gave him a cloak that no iron could bite and said goodbye to him. She hoped to never see him again, for his sake. Hrolf only knew where he didn't want to be, though. He had no idea where he was going. And weeks later, he stumbled, half frozen, to a cabin in the wilderness. He knocked, seeking help, and he found it. But not without a wary face. Hrolf knew enough to be watchful. The man was tall and broad, his matted, stringy mop of hair, matched only by a beard that threatened to eat his shirt. He wore a sword and a spear in his own house and staggered from the door. Hrolf could have just closed his eyes and followed the stench of mead radiating from the man, but he couldn't be choosy. If he had to spend another night huddled in the ice at the base of a tree, it would be his last. Hrolf introduced himself as he sat down by the fire, and Atli, the man, said he already knew who Hrolf was. Hrolf's father was the one who made him an outlaw. The spear didn't bite the cloak, but it still felt like being hit with a battering ram, and Hrolf almost tumbled into the fire. Hrolf's oak club hit the fire, though, and caught. Hrolf might have gone all Legend of Zelda and attacked with a fiery club, but he didn't have the chance. Atli was on him. Hrolf got the sword away from the man, though not without a few slices to his arm, and the spear was too big to use in the cabin, except as a surprise attack. Man to man, Hrolf was a match. Soon, he had Atli pinned, and he saw the man's eyes widen as Hrolf dug into the filth of his beard and found Atli's neck. Hrolf did not want to look, but he owed the man he killed that much. Atli might have been a murderer and an outlaw, but he was still a person. And when the life left his eyes, he was the first person Rolf killed. In the morning, he put Atli's cloak on over his own, affixed Atli's spear to his side, 
hooked a bag of gold stolen from people long dead to his belt and made his way down the mountain, the cabin burning behind him. Prof never wanted to board a Viking longship, but he knew it was either that or starve out on the moors. So he was Stagandi, and he joined up with a particularly ruthless Viking named Jolgir and his men. Jolgir hated Hrolf, thinking him a coward and a layabout, but Jolgir's men didn't. Hrolf managed to pull the non-violent duties on ship, like watch and cleaning and the like and he was free enough with Atlee's gold that no one save the leader had any problem with it. The leader made this problem known, however, when, one morning, Jolgir brought his sword down on Hrolf while he slept. Once again, Hrolf's magic cloak protected him, but it did break one of Hrolf's ribs, and when Hrolf managed to find his feet, Jolgir tackled Hrolf. Both men rolled off a cliff into the water, but once again, Hrolf's size won out. Yogir wouldn't relent, and he drowned in the water. It was a tragedy. His men said, ah, no, no, it wasn't. Yogir was terrible. He was some warlock who killed their last leader and basically enslaved them all. Hrolf was the only one who had been able to stand up to him, and he hated Hrolf for it. The men, of course, wouldn't hear of any other outcome than Hrolf becoming their leader. And the kid who hated fighting and detested longships now found himself as the leader of a band of Vikings sailing a longship. How he came to serve Jarl Thorgni in Denmark was maybe a little bit of an accident. He showed up to the Jarl and informed him that he had a band of seasoned Viking warriors already in his earldom. And the Jarl said, wow, Hrolf, this guy looks like he needs a castle. Did Hrolf want a castle? Please don't raid them. They were already fighting an actual troll and his brother. Hrolf said, a, a castle? Wait, two, two castles, Jarl Thorgny said. One for Hrolf and one for his first mate. Hrolf said, sure, but he wasn't gonna raid. Whew, whew. The Jarl breathed, good, because of all the castles, right? Hrolf rolled his eyes, sure, yeah, because of all the castles. Part of the deal was that Hrolf and his men would defend the realm, which they did. They beat the Troll brothers, other Vikings who came to raid, and Hrolf could see why the Jarl was so quick to deputize them when Hrolf and his crew didn't begin by just trying to burn down his home. Then, tragedy struck. Thorgny's wife died, and so did most of the raiding. The men hung around the only place the Jarl wanted to be, his late wife's grave, playing a ball game to entertain their ruler. That is, until the scarf. We will actually get started on the quest for today's story, but that will, once again, be right after this. Hrolf was three days out from Thorgny's realm when he spotted 
a man. The man wasn't like most of the travelers on the road who would tend to keep to themselves, especially around a man Hrolf's size. This one was standing in the middle of the road, shield out and sword drawn. He took one look at Hrolf and pointed his sword. My name's William and you've a choice. State who you are, where you're heading, and what your business is, and maybe I won't kill you where you stand it. Ow, ow! Hrolf hadn't stopped, and when he got within spear slapping range, he, I mean, he slapped the dweeb with his spear, disarming him. William tried to run, but Hrolf chased him down, tackled him, and pinned his arm behind his back. Same questions, Hrolf grumbled. William shrieked that he was the son of a Danish farmer. He was going to try to get the armor from King Hrygvid's tomb and marry King Eric's sister. He figured the traveler was the hero type and it was better to face him here than there. He was so sorry. Please don't kill him. Hrolf relaxed and chuckled. He, he didn't want to kill the man. As long as William promised to serve him, he would keep William as a servant. William swallowed hard. Hrolf didn't answer the question. And alive, I'll keep you alive, Hrolf said. William smirked and rolled out as soon as Hrolf let him move, springing to his feet. Hrolf put his weapons away and said they could work together. He was set to rescue the princess and William wanted to marry the other one. There was a way this could work. Over the next couple of days, Hrolf was convinced. William had wanted to be caught, defeated. He had wanted to travel with Hrolf, but Hrolf had no idea why. He learned why when, after stopping off for a night with a bunch of William's cousins, Hrolf awoke to a sword at his throat. You see, if you've defeated someone and pressed them into your service, don't drink with their cousins. Rolf passed out and woke up tied to his cot, William slowly pressing the tip of his sword into his neck until he drew a few drops of blood. Rolf demanded to know what was going on, but William didn't speak, as it took a dozen men to gather around the cot and pick it up, carrying it to the blazing hearth in the longhouse. They propped up Rolf facing the flames, the fire licking the edges of his clothing, and William announced his terms. Hrolf would be his servant. He would swear to do everything William asked and help him obtain the king's armor. All this would last until William won the king's sister for life. Then their partnership would be dissolved. And oh yeah, Hrolf would never take revenge for this humiliation on William or anyone present. Ostensibly, the story tells us that Hrolf agreed because there was a chance of eventual freedom and because if he died, he wouldn't be able to keep his oath to Jarl Thorgny. Far be it from me to question a character's stated motivations, except for all the times I've done exactly that over the course of eight years. But I would wager that not being immolated probably added some appeal to the serve William side of the pros and cons list. and I can outrun any animal, quadrupeds and all, William shouted, breathless at the end of his long resume before King Eric. King Eric looked down from his throne to Hrolf. 
the massive man that William had apparently enslaved. Rolf nodded. Yep. Chess, shooting, swimming, outrunning any animal, even quadrupeds. That was William, even though he had shouted it with all the eloquence and believability of a boastful first grader. King Eric said it didn't matter, as long as he was a good thief. Then, a messenger came in with a shout. The stag! They found the stag! The king shot up. Men, to your horses! William and Hrolf looked at each other. Odd, should they follow along? It didn't matter either way, so they did. Outside, the king's hunting pals were mobilizing into a galloping force to go after the stag that King Eric had been obsessing over. Its horns were inlaid with gold. It had a gold chain around its neck with a silver bell. When the king announced marriage to his sister for anyone who brought him back the stag, William nearly fell from his own horse. He and Hrolf looked at each other with a nod, and William galloped off after the hounds, with Hrolf running beside him. Once they were in the forest, William slowed. All right, that was good. That was okay. Exciting. He pointed to Hrolf. Bring back the stag. Hrolf stood rooted. William clarified, if Hrolf ever wanted to be free again, he would bring back the stag. Hrolf grumbled and charged off into the forest. So deer are capable of running 30 miles per hour, nearly 50 kilometers per hour, but only for about three or four miles. Once Hrolf locked onto the stag, it was only a matter of keeping it within sight until it tired. I mean, it was still grueling, but by the end of the day, he found it. Collapsed in exhaustion in a clearing. He also heard labor pains of an elf woman. Not much of a life you're leading here, Hrolf, the Viking heard behind him. He turned to see an elf woman in a soft blue mantle. A slave to a slave, and now you're trying to steal other people's property? Hrolf ignored her. If he let every word everyone said get to him, he wouldn't have survived having four Viking brothers. He threw a thumb over his shoulder to the cave behind him, the one with the screaming woman. Didn't the elf need to attend to that? The woman exhaled. You see, she needed help. Her daughter was cursed. She couldn't give birth until a human laid hands on her abdomen. Rolf stopped her. So when you were insulting me, that was you asking for a favor? The elf woman shrugged. Elves were the worst. And real quickly, in Norse myth, elves, they're not the worst. They're not really anything. At most, they're pretty nondescript and inconsequential. I'm letting my anti-elf bias from Tolkien, D&D, The Elder Scrolls, and so many other places shine through here. I just can't stand elvish characters. They're so arrogant and insufferable. And it does totally track that they would insult a character as they're asking for help. Hroth, though, was used to annoying people being annoying. And he needed to get the stag, to get William married, to get his freedom, to free the princess in order to be polite to his Jarl. So yes, he would help out the elf woman and her daughter. He would have done it anyway. He didn't like leaving people suffering needlessly when there was something he could do to help. So after 19 days of labor, the elf daughter gave birth. The elf woman was grateful, and she gave Hrolf not just the stag, but a ring. She said it was for his upcoming journey to the burial mound of King Hregvid. No matter where he traveled, by land or by sea, 
no matter how the forces of the world were arrayed against him, he would never lose his way. Then, the elf woman became serious. William, he was not to be trusted. Hrolf said, yeah, he knew. The guy betrayed him and almost burned him alive in his bed. The elves told him, really, be wary. William would be glad to see him dead. Hrolf laughed again, he knew. Don't worry, there was no love or trust there. He would keep his eye on William. Hrolf put on the ring and, just like that, he knew the way back to the castle of King Eric. It was like the secluded cave of the elf woman was somewhere he had been traveling his whole life. He thanked both the women. They smiled. Thank you. Thank you for being a lowly human and not one of the lofty elves, so you were able to serve us. Rolf grimaced and hefted the stag up over his shoulders. That was better? Rolf handed off the stag to William, just outside the longhouse, and those 20 or 30 steps William took with the stag on his back? Whew, they were rough. He made it to King Eric, sitting on his throne, and collapsed, but into a bow, in a way that maybe kind of looked like he meant to do it. King Eric said, was William sure he carried this back all the way from the forest, by himself? William, gasping at the air, said, absolutely. King Eric asked if he was sure if it wasn't the wall of man behind William. The guy who breaks horses and not like trains them, but will actually break them if he rides on them for too long. William said that that's what he said, right? Hrolf is worthless. Hrolf, agree with me. Hrolf said, uh, he's right. I am worthless, just like nothing. I am not important. I don't matter, but don't feel bad for me. I shouldn't even be here. Like, shouldn't even be around in the area. Don't worry about me at all. William caught his breath. Cool, thanks for all the agreement, Rolf. The king said, yeah. He knew he promised his sister to whomever caught the stag, but get this, the cool thing about an absolute monarchy was that he could change his mind on a whim, and it was law. So this definitely helped William, but William probably needed to go ahead and get the armor if he wanted to marry into the king's family. Mainly because there was something extremely sketchy about this William guy. Do you want me to die? William said, outrage growing, that he did the thing and now he had to do another thing. And by doing the thing, he took a nap while Hroff did the thing. The king said, honestly, he could take it or leave it. Would be really nice if he came back with the armor, but if he didn't, oh, that would be such a tragedy for sure. William could see that there was no arguing with a man who had never heard the word no in his life. William sneered. Fine. He would brave the wilds and visit the dangerous tomb of King Hregvid, returning the armor so he could marry the princess. And by he would go, he meant Hrolf would go, and William would enjoy a nice nap. The following morning, the pair left on the quest to fight the Draugr King Troll, a trip from which no one had ever returned. Thank you.
I know next week is the first of the month, so we have Aphrodite due, but this one ended up being a two-parter, so next week is the conclusion of this one. The week after is a Father's Day episode we've been sitting on for six months, and so, in the interest of not having too much Greek all bunched in a few weeks, we're going to save Aphrodite for July, and continue on from there. If you'd like to support the show, there's still a membership thing on the site. For less than the price of chicken arms, little plastic baby arms you strap to chickens, we have ad-free and bonus episodes that won't make your chickens look like they were running around trying to hug one another or something. I don't know. Check out support.mythpodcast.com for more info on the membership and absolutely no chickens with arms. The creature this week is the Nunni, from the folklore of the Hivero people in the Amazonian rainforest of Ecuador. A lot of the time, creatures exist in the wild places of the world, in the dark forests and at the crossroads at night. This creature exists in your very own garden. She lives under the dirt, is about three feet high, and gently pushes the plants up to the surface, aiding in germination. Oh, and she also wants to suck the blood from your feet. It's really a good news, bad news situation. Because while I think we could all use a little help in our gardening, it's maybe not worth being violently exsanguinated by a foot vampire. She only lives under gardens that have been properly cleared and cultivated and weeded and all that. But if you don't do those things, no plants for you. She'll move deeper down. And if you let your garden go like every garden I've ever been responsible for, she will leave completely taking your plants with her. She goes deeper into the ground during the day and likes it when you sing to her. So if you happen to find yourself gardening in the morning, maybe bring that Bluetooth speaker. She also likes gemstones. So if you have any Jasper on you, bury it to placate her so she won't suck the blood from your feet. I read one source that said that the Jasper is a way to bribe the Nuni into only drinking the blood of trespassers and enemies. Oh, and warn kids not to play in the garden or mess with your stuff because that is definitely not the real reason people tell stories about the Nuni. Yeah, it seemed like in the Middle Ages and early modern period, the way people disciplined their kids was just to make them constantly afraid of monsters, until the kids were old enough to realize that wasn't a thing, and then it was, oh, cool, you're an adult now, get to work. That's it for this week. Myths and Legends is by Jason and Carissa Weiser. Our theme song is by Broke for Free, and the Creature of the Week music is by Steve Combs. There are links to more of the music we used in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening, and we will see you next time. 